Volume Two, Chapter Seven of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven, Lord Saxon. Lord Saxon sat in his study one morning. His face wore a troubled look. He had been reading the papers, and the papers had a bad effect on him. The papers were most of them full of attacks upon Champion this in itself would have annoyed saxon but there were other considerations too he saw that nearly all the papers had got filled with the idea that champion was planning some grand coup to make himself more popular than ever and to get himself back into office and he did not believe in anything of the kind it was all lies and nonsense still the lies and nonsense vexed and disturbed lord saxon all the same if you feel perfectly well and people come telling you one after the other that you look very unwell you may not believe them but their assurances make you feel uncomfortable so with lord saxon he did not believe that his friend and leader was deceiving him but to be always reading assertions which pointed that way made him feel not exactly distrustful but decidedly uncomfortable lady saxon had he knew gone off on one of her eccentric trips to petrel's rest he was expecting her return some time during the day for he had been given to understand that they had a dinner party that evening suddenly she burst in upon him in all the glory of her beauty and her splendid vitality and with a certain radiance of the morning about her well josephine lord saxon said in his ineffusive manner but a change came over his face as she entered and the cloud lightened you didn't expect me quite so early dear i wasn't altogether sure myself that i could get up in time for the first train but it was lovely driving over the moors this morning and i had things i wanted to see about i am too late for your breakfast though i see no i don't want anything more i had some coffee at a station have you been dull these days breakfasting without me it was lady saxon's chief concession to the domestic virtues to breakfast late every morning with her husband it kept him in a good humour not that lord saxon was ever in a bad humour with her it made him believe in her and she got over her duty early in the day swallowed her physic before it had time to stand as she put it to herself yes of course you know he said with awkward fondness he did not ask what she had been doing at petrel's rest she had long ago given him to understand that she did not choose to be asked questions about her movements and that he must be content with such information as she herself volunteered lord saxon was not inquisitive and made much concession to his wife's mood on the whole the strain of independence and originality in her pleased him and then he was always delighted to have her with him ready to take her on her own terms yet in spite of her radiance and her beauty she seemed agitated excited he thought something had put her out women are easily put out lord saxon reflected it is their way if not they wouldn't be women certainly not charming women you look worried lady saxon said what is the matter anything wrong in politics nothing that i know of i have been reading the papers and i'm so sorry poor old greenleaf don't you know is dead he read her a paragraph from a paper death of a veteran m p 
we regret to announce the sudden death of mr greenleaf one of the oldest members of the house of commons and who represented the same constituency for more than fifty years the death was sudden it took place in the house of commons library about two o'clock yesterday mr greenleaf was reading in the library and perhaps had fallen asleep some of the officials of the house were testing the division bells and the bells were made to ring sharply mr greenleaf started up on hearing the sound and was heard to cry a division already and he ran towards the door the only other member in the library was mr bellarmine and mr bellarmine called out no no they are only trying the bells the house is not sitting mr greenleaf however hurried on and just as he reached the nearest door he fell on the floor mr bellarmine and one of the librarians ran to his assistance but they found that the poor old gentleman was dead it used to be a boast of mr greenleaf's that he never missed a division of the house poor old creature lady saxon said carelessly it was the right sort of way for him to die seems to me terrible lord saxon said a sudden death like that fancy being full of life one minute and dead the next oh but a poor old thing like that what did it matter sudden death is not only for the old poor greenleaf why saxon you are quite tragic over this dreadful old man he had lived long enough lord saxon said no more on that subject his wife evidently could not be got to feel for poor old greenleaf and his sudden death lord saxon turned listlessly to some other part of the paper he held in his hand lord saxon felt that one of the duties of his position was to read the papers every morning and accordingly he read them sometimes they made him very angry more often they made him yawn the fellows seemed to know so little about anything lord saxon often said he was very conscious of his own defective education and he was satisfied in a stolid resigned sort of way that his was a very slow intelligence when he found that on some political question he knew more of the realities of things than some writer of a leading article in a newspaper he was not elated he was merely disappointed this day he was particularly displeased what's the good of reading a paper if the fellows who write don't know half as much as one knows oneself he said irrelevantly without waiting for an answer to his question as he tossed aside one of the dailies over which he had been poring lord saxon was a man absolutely without self-conceit he honestly understood his own capacity and was inclined to overrate the abilities of others he was selfish in a certain sense that is to say he did not know how to deny himself any momentary gratification which he coveted but in a broader sense he often showed himself quietly self-sacrificing he stuck to politics and the house of commons because the family traditions and his father's wish told him that he ought to do so and he had even drilled himself into an interest in politics and trained and hammered himself into a really powerful hard-hitting straight from the shoulder sort of parliamentary debater he was often taken for a haughty and sullen man when he was in fact only shy slow of speech and awkward a spoiled child he had at least some of the characteristic virtues of spoilt childhood if he had most of its characteristic vices 
he loved his father dearly and thus far he adored his wife he put absolute trust in her lady saxon stepped rapidly towards her husband and stood for a moment behind his chair looking at him with a curious contemptuous smile on her face before she spoke what is the good of reading the papers she said well i like to make sure that the fellows don't know what i know think of the thousands of people who read those articles as if they were gospel it amuses me to know that i am ever so much better informed than they are it's like having private proof of the spuriousness of the bible or like hearing a man tell the house of commons from the treasury bench that the government never did make certain proposals to some foreign power after he has himself shown you in confidence a copy of the dispatch and the reply well but what have the papers been saying now stuff about champion but they are always talking stuff about champion what are they saying now saying that he is planning some great coup some popular thing to get back into office i wish to heaven he were lady saxon said emphatically lord saxon looked up amazed why so josephine because i am ambitious for him and for you i hate to see two such men out of office you ought to be in power you ought to be governing england you two why your father says it himself and he said it to me the other day ah but he might not quite like some of champion's notions all the same he would when he came to understand them lady saxon said in a tone of decision lord saxon was a little puzzled by his wife's manner did you see champion when you were at petrel's rest he asked suddenly why should i i went away for quiet no i didn't go near stonehenge park i didn't want to go there i didn't fancy myself with all these jacobites and legitimists but sir victor champion of course thinks it is his business to know everybody and he is quite right of course of course lord saxon was turning over something slowly in the recesses of his mind at last he seemed anxious to put away the topic of conversation by the way josephine who are coming to dinner to-day besides champion i mean lady saxon had moved from him and begun to open some letters which she had brought in with her who are coming to dinner to-day she said presently the princess of course to begin with the princess which princess the stuart princess the young pretendress the lovely jacobite miss beaton do you mean miss beaton yes dear josephine lord saxon said with a heavy smile don't call her a princess please she isn't any princess i wonder if she has any sense that she can let people talk about her in that way it's nonsense i suppose she likes it it was only my fun dear calling her a princess i wish you would pay her some attention saxon it would look well from you and she is so much admired oh she is a deuced nice-looking girl and all that lord saxon conceded not with the air of one who is deeply engrossed in the subject and champion thinks her clever so i am told told by whom lady saxon's voice had a little suggestion of sharpness in it as she put the question to her unconcerned husband mm, don't quite remember josephine i'm sure everybody i think the people who are coming let me see 
she named two or three great political peers oh that lot her husband said with an air of profound depression must saxon must you grumbling person they want to meet the fair princess oh i beg pardon of course i mean miss mary beaton all right josephine is there no one new or interesting except miss beaton i don't know whether you would call her aide-de-camp or master of the horse or whatever he is interesting general falcon certainly not lord saxon replied promptly for him and do you know josephine he said partly rousing himself up there's something odd about that man something i can't quite make out i must have seen him somewhere i can't remember if that's it his face impresses me in a devilish uncomfortable sort of manner kind of man to cut his throat or do something of that kind in some odd unexpected public way my dear saxon what very horrible ideas but we have to ask him you know and that dreadful old lady struthers they are supposed to be in attendance on miss beaton and they would expect to be asked oh of course of course they would expect to be asked there is mr bellarmine do you call him interesting yes i call him interesting he is coming to the front in the house i should like to see more of him you might easily do that he comes here very often lady saxon replied carelessly to your luncheons i suppose that set isn't in my line not political enough suggested lady saxon though that doesn't quite apply no they are too i don't care about their talk too many fireworks let us say that they are too epigrammatic for you said lady saxon you must have had some of mr bellarmine's fireworks in the house oh he is a clever fellow some people say he is self-conceited and a puppy and all that but i don't quite think it of him he would get on if he had money but i am told he has no money and by jove josephine it's hard for a fellow to get on no matter how clever he may be without money i have thought of that sometimes lady saxon had thought of it a good deal in former days and could have illustrated it by experiences of her own had she been so minded just now however she did not care to pursue the theme well that's about the whole lot she said when she had given him the names of a few more of their guests lord saxon went back abruptly to bellarmine bellarmine's looking out for a woman with money i have heard men say i should think he could find one easily enough he is a handsome well set up fellow but that always seemed to me the deuce of being poor that one has to look out not for the woman he would like to marry but for the woman with money he looked at his wife as he spoke lady saxon smiled on him with gracious affection now lord saxon went on in a meditative way if a girl like miss beaton had money and were to take a real fancy for a young fellow like bellarmine that wouldn't be half a bad thing for both of them they say he sticks very closely to her lady saxon winced and chafed under these remarks she would not so much have minded the idea of bellarmine's marrying for money but it made the nerves of her vanity sore to hear him talked of as an admirer of miss beaton and if saxon of all men had heard of such a thing and noticed and remembered it rumor could not speak altogether falsely my dear saxon 
it is something new to hear you entering into these marriage speculations and love-makings i never thought you observed things of that kind one sometimes observes more than people fancy josephine the words were carelessly spoken and had no special meaning lord saxon was feeling a little surprised at himself for indulging in so much gossip and was wondering where he had got it but lady saxon almost started and she turned her head away for a moment you were speaking of sir victor champion she said presently in her tenderest tone i want you to think about him saxon my dear josephine i think a lot about him i am always thinking about him more or less but i want you to believe in him to trust him to trust in him to trust in him fully to have entire faith in him to trust yourself to him he is a great man all his views are great i want you and him to govern england together she came over to him and leaned upon his shoulder and bent her head down winningly over his and gazed into his eyes he did not understand her he had no perception of her meaning but he felt the fascination of her manner and her eyes look here she went on earnestly and with that dash of the melodramatic which had grown to be characteristic of her i want you to be a great man saxon my husband i want to be proud of you i am proud of you as it is but i want you to do great things i want you to be a great english statesman you have all the brains and all the courage not all the brains josephine dear no no but i hope i have courage enough if one only saw one's way and if lord saxon paused and sighed in a heavy perplexed manner strange in one ordinarily so stolid and composed lady saxon did not notice the sigh but exclaimed eagerly exactly there it is one don't always see one's own way and then is the time for trusting someone who does lord saxon raised his head a little and looked at her in some surprise yes saxon i know what i am saying sometimes perhaps you may not quite see your way you are a slow old darling now and then but when you do see your way who can tread it so firmly and so boldly as you can oh i have been so proud of you often proud of my husband dear i couldn't care for any man in all the world if he were not ambitious ambitious of greatness but josephine my dear i don't understand really i don't it's this victor champion always sees his way no man in england can read the signs of the times as he can i want you to go with him to believe and to know that what he does is wise and right and not to let anyone estrange you from him you must promise me that you will promise me that she threw her arms fondly round his neck and drew his head closer to her saxon faintly struggled with the embrace but only in order to give expression to his perplexities well but josephine who talks about our being estranged are we not the best of friends why every one knows that i am devoted to him they are always reproaching me with being too devoted to him some of them are what does it all mean is he really planning something 
dear how should i know but of course his mind is always full of england's future of course he must be thinking of something great whatever it is i want you to be in it promise me saxon that you will not lightly allow any people or any idle talk to come between you and him you must promise me that i ask it for your own sake i want to see you and him always associated i want you and him to govern england josephine lord saxon said gravely there are only three people in the world i think that i care for really and you know who they are yourself and my old governor and champion it would be a curious thing that you and champion wanted me to do and that i did not do wouldn't it you wouldn't ask me to do anything that i oughtn't to do and neither would he i am sure so there's nothing to promise is there that is promise enough she said and she touched his forehead with her lips he drew her down to him closer and folded one arm about her gazing up at her beautiful face which she held back slightly averted something of almost poetic yearning shone in lord saxon's dull eyes and lightened his heavy reddened features for a moment or two he did not speak well she asked laughingly bear what is it you have been so remarkably sociable of late that i have almost forgotten my nickname for you have i been less bearish in society of late josephine i am never bearish to you never dear i must pay you that compliment but really your sublime resignation to circumstances while we were doing our visits was something beautiful to behold it was i who showed the wild beast and had to run off to my lair i wonder why you like to rush off in that wild way to petrel's rest and why you won't let me go with you i should enjoy doing darby and joan there with you once or twice in the season josephine i get a little tired of it all darby and joan and john anderson my joe are not in my line saxon as i told you when we married dear nevertheless if you wish it i am willing to do that or anything else at one of the other places not at petrel's rest that's my own particular lair and i love it the more because you gave it to me to growl in and because you are such a gentleman saxon that you respect my whims still a woman likes that you know you are a strange creature josephine he said in fond pride you knew that from the first i always told you that i wasn't the patient grisel sort of woman or the conventional beggar-maid who waited so submissively for king cafetua to step down to her i have often thought that the beggar-maid must have felt the pinch of her gold-embroidered shoes and must have longed to take them off and go barefoot again now and then i have walked barefoot saxon yes barefoot after a caravan when i was a little girl and i too have felt the craving to take off my smart shoes sometimes but queen cafetua wouldn't have liked her king to see her when she had one of her wild fits on she would have wanted to go all alone from the palace and forget for a little while that she was a queen but she would have been glad to come back to the palace and to cafetua once more and she might not be sorry then that she was a queen said saxon tenderly dear bear dear practical statistical politician can it be possible that i am making you poetic i don't pretend to be poetic or out of the common 
or anything like you josephine lord saxon reddened to a deeper tint than was even natural to him but i think i'm not quite the stolid statistical sort of person you make me out or i couldn't have wanted so madly to marry you there never was a woman in the world that suited me as you do and i couldn't have cared for you if you had been the conventional kind of one sort or the other i've known plenty of them grizels and verdevers and beggar-maids too by jove and you were the only one i wanted to settle down with as my wife perhaps i'm slow at showing what i feel you don't like me to be demonstrative you don't like to be effusive either and i'm not sure if i don't admire you all the more for that but there it is it's a fact and sometimes by jove josephine i wish that we could leave it all the show and the business and the house of commons for a bit and go and set up a cabin somewhere in the wild west by ourselves that wouldn't please me saxon for more than a day or two the show and the business is what i like just as i like the booths and the fairs in the old caravan days you know i never pretended to you that i was anything but a caravan child who might have grown up to be something too dreadful to think about if a kind generous man hadn't been touched by my youth and my innocence lady saxon gave a queer little half pathetic laugh as she spoke and my beauty i suppose and if he hadn't taken me away and educated me and married me the taint of the caravan clings to me still i like glitter and show i like a retinue i like this and she waved her hand towards the splendidly furnished room but you well i can understand that the society business bores you you should be glad that you have a wife who is capable of doing it alone and will leave you with your blue books in peace but the real business of your life you couldn't get away from it if you would and you would not if you could politics statesmanship government all that it's in your blood you have inherited from the athelstanes and the saxons and the rest do not think i am not proud of that this is your part in the world and i want to spur you on to reform of old abuses to power to the governing of a great nation it is to this you will come if you join victor champion she had moved from him as she talked and stood before him her eyes alight her bosom heaving a vague expression of doubt and trouble crept over saxon's face can there be anything are the papers on the scent do you know anything josephine it is not possible i will not believe that champion could have spoken of any project he may have in his mind to any one before he spoke to me no no exclaimed lady saxon eagerly how could you imagine it but i have intuitions even you have said so didn't i foretell glen gordon's resignation i can read the signs of the times more quickly than you there will be a change a great scheme and champion will speak of it first to you to whom else saxon rose from his seat with a reluctant preoccupied air well it will come if it is to come he said slowly not too soon i hope i hope that it will come before the session is over she answered and that england will have to thank you for a big thing 
you are all at me saxon went on you the governor the papers everyone you all talk of my doing something big before before he hesitated before you fossilize in the house of lords as duke of athelstane she put in no yes i sometimes think josephine that you will never be duchess of athelstane what do you mean she asked her face blanching this was a contingency she had never contemplated she meant to be duchess of athelstane you are not ill saxon you why you look in the most robust health i am big enough and red enough and muscular enough and all that he answered laughing a little grimly but i didn't want to frighten you josephine i did not really mean that the governor might outlive me though i shouldn't be surprised at it he is better after the grouse on the moors than i am i don't quite know why i said that unless it's because i have been feeling rather down lately a fit of the blue devils a sort of lethargy and queer sensations now and then liver i suppose everything is liver with us london men we smoke too much and drink too much and live too hard when we are young fellows you should see a doctor said lady saxon i have often told you dear that it is a sluggish liver that makes you so disinclined to go out among people colin geddes i wonder why you have such an invincible objection to be photographed and to seeing a doctor perhaps because i am afraid of the result in both cases answered lord saxon i know that i am not a beauty and i have always had a queer instinctive kind of notion that i was not altogether sound in the wind anyhow i hope that i am not a coward and if there should be anything wrong with me i'd rather know it i'd rather know anything than live on in a fool's paradise a fellow can take a long breath then and look round him there's only one thing by jove josephine if you were to play me false i'd rather be hoodwinked into believing you true lady saxon kept her eyes lowered you love me so much then i am glad about this doctor i am anxious oh i am rather ashamed of having got funked i was so blue last night that i wrote a note to scourfield making an appointment i shall look in on him on my way to the house scourfield repeated lady saxon for her husband had named a famous specialist she made no further comment however and they separated lady saxon thought no more of her husband she went to plan the arrangement of her little dinner party she liked to plan her dinner parties lord saxon's house had become famous for its little dinners since lady saxon had become its mistress lord saxon's father made it his study to advance his son to political leadership it was a fine tradition in that great whig family that the eldest son should always be a political leader in the house of commons and that the father should find liberal means for the elder son to fulfil all the social as well as the political duties of leadership the duke of athelstane had wished his eldest son to be married as soon as possible and to be married to the daughter of some great english whig peer but lord saxon disappointed his father in the two conditions he did not marry early and he did not marry the daughter of an english whig peer he remained until his fortieth year unmarried and then he came home from germany bringing with him as his wife the widow of a doubtful baron some residence doctor who had been ennobled 
because he restored to imaginary health a dyspeptic or hypochondriacal german prince still the duke was heroic enough to make the best of things even then lord saxon's reckless youth had inspired the duke with a secret dread that he might be entrapped by even a less eligible comate than this widow of a doubtful german baron and there were other and more occult reasons which however the duke would not readily have acknowledged that made him willing to indulge his son in all ways so lord saxon's father accepted lady saxon and even put on a goodly show of welcome for her she was very handsome she proved to be very clever and there was nothing against her at least there was nothing known against her and she flattered the old man a great deal and before long had talked him over lady saxon's father-in-law came to put some trust in her and to regard her as a sort of fellow conspirator and colleague she had a genius for political combinations and for dinner parties and the head of the house gave her full means of testing her capacity the duke was old and was anxious that his son should make a name and an influence in the house of commons before destiny cruel in two ways should remove the father from the house of lords and entomb the son alive in the father's vacated place thus the stiff festivities at the family mansion in which men only had taken part now gave place to a more brilliant and even more lavish form of entertainment at the house in seymour place End of volume two, chapter seven.